It took only four games into the Brent Venables era to completely change my mind about the idea that Venables will have Oklahoma more ready to play on a game-to-game basis than Lincoln Riley did in his five years as the Oklahoma head coach. That's probably not fair, but that's the reality. Kansas State's offense was ranked in the 90s coming into last Saturday's game, and Adrian Martinez was averaging less than five yards per attempt. There were rumors that if Martinez struggled early against the Sooners, that Chris Kleiman may bench him. That's the type of offense a Brent Venables-led defense should have had no problems with. None. Instead, Adrian Martinez had one of the best games of his career, maybe the best game given the circumstances, and Oklahoma went from looking like one of the best teams in college football outside of Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State to looking like just another inconsistent Sooners team that allows itself to get beat at home, by the way, by a less talented group. Tuesday at his weekly news conference, Brent Venable sounded like his dog just died. The usually chipper and upbeat coach spent 30-plus minutes solemnly talking through why his defense played so bad while briefly fielding questions about TCU, who's got an offense that's monumentally better than what Kansas State put out on Owen Field last Saturday. A week ago, I was pretty certain I could predict what kind of Oklahoma team we were going to see out there week to week. And now it's anybody's guess. And that feels all too familiar. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome back into West of Everest. Week five of the college football season is here, and October is right around the corner. And Oklahoma is in legitimate danger of losing back-to-back games because TCU's offense is really, really good. And the Sooners' defense may not be anywhere near as good as we thought it was just as you know, recent as five days ago. Joining me now, as always, is Grant Benson. And Grant, are you feeling any better now that we've had a few days to cope with that stunning OU loss? Wish I say, you know, I wish I could say that I do, but I do not, actually. Um, I mean, like, I'm fine, like, I'm fine, like, I'm not sad or anything like that. But if you're specifically asking about, you know, how I feel about the team going forward, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I feel worse, but I sure as hell don't feel better. Yeah, that's where I am as well. I'm not, I'm not totally uh, throwing out my OU over nine and a half ticket just yet, uh, nine and a half wins ticket just yet. You know, they can, they can still lose one more. I just really didn't expect that one, that, you know, the first one to come before September was over. You know, part of me wants to really believe that, man, that was uh, an anomaly. And we, you know, we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. You mentioned it here off the air before the mics heated up for this podcast. Kansas State was just a different team on Saturday than we had seen on tape offensively. And part of me, I, you know, I, you like to use the term motivated reasoning quite a bit. I know that. And, you know, part of me wants to use motivated reasoning and thinking, well, Brent Venables is such a tape guy that, uh, you know, he's looking back at tape the first three games and, you know, who knows what other kind of tape they, they watch. But, there's not a whole lot you can look at because Adrian Martinez at Nebraska, that's a different offense. So looking back at that, I don't know how much that, that'll help. So he's such a tape guy that, you know, whatever he saw on tape the first three games, that's the defense and him and Ted Roof put together for Saturday. And clearly whatever the heck that was, wasn't the same, you know, as far as K-State goes. So part of me is thinking, well, maybe that's another reason why, but 
then again, you know, what, what's the next offense, Grant, that looks totally different, you know, on tape, but when they play Oklahoma, they look different in a good way. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess we can talk about SMU coming up. At least SMU, not, not SMU, TCU, another three-letter school. At least TCU's offense, uh, they put a lot of good stuff on tape, and they actually played their first kind of real team against SMU this past week. So, in a way, maybe the Oklahoma can be a little bit more prepared against TCU's offense, but, man, that offense is really good. So, I don't know. That, that's, that's me trying to kind of make sense of everything that happened against Kansas State. Yeah, you know, um, I guess my first thought going, you know, for TCU going to this is offensive personnel, especially at the skill positions, just a lot better than Kansas State's. Uh, significantly better. Max Duggan is better than Adrian Martinez. Uh, the only player I would say that, you know, that, you know, that Kansas State has on offense that's better, you know, than anyone on TCU is Deuce Vaughn. And that's that's it. And that doesn't really mean much because I think Kendra, uh, you know, Kendra Miller is also really, really good for TCU. So, yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I, I already kind of have an affinity for Max Duggan. I think he's underrated. Um, he kind of shredded OU last season. Uh, they've, OU has always struggled to corral him behind the line of scrimmage. He always seems to score it out and get away, which, oh, wow, you know, that sounds pretty familiar after last week. And so uh, that worries me. And uh, he's, he's, just, he, he's a better completer of forward passes than Adrian Martinez is. Probably not as good of a straight-line runner. He's smaller. He's easier to bring down you know, from a, from a strength standpoint. But I don't know, man. If, if, OU, if, if the same OU defense that showed up last week against Kansas State shows up against TCU, they're going to give up more yards and points than they did last week. Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to give up 50 at least. It's, if that same defense shows up, no doubt about it. Kansas State, uh, Kansas State, TCU, I mean, offensively, they have a top 10 offense right now, and they're one of only two teams, TCU, in the entire nation that can say they're averaging more than eight yards per play. Can you guess the other one? Not that hard. Um, No, I actually can't. Just think about all the, it's all the best offenses. It's, it's Ohio State. Ohio oh, State's yeah. the other, no, other one. Duh. Yeah. Uh, so TCU's offense is great. We'll, we'll talk about them here coming up. Uh, but first, you know, kind of want to talk a little bit about Brent Venables' press conference. Not sure how much we're going to get into it, but I took a couple notes down. And I said in the opening take that Venables seemed like his, you know, he was kind of lethargic. I made the analogy. It seemed like his dog had just died. You know, he just he didn't seem like the same guy. And when explaining how the defense played against Kansas State, he said, you know, what he saw on tape was that guys were out, out there afraid to make mistakes. They played on their heels. They weren't good at the point of attack. And he just saw players out there that were pressing as the game went on. And, yeah, that's what I saw, too, when I watched the game back. And, man, what a frustrating rewatch that was when I finally got around to it. Uh, it, it, was, it was not fun to watch that back. A lot of frustrating moments. He didn't seem uh, to you know, act like they're going to make any changes. You know, it's, it's just one game. Every single week is new. They're going to completely start over. That's the same way after a win as, you know, as is a loss. So didn't hear a whole lot of new things, which, you know, we're four games in. I wouldn't anticipate anything new or different. Uh, the one thing that, you know, I was thinking, I don't know if anybody's asked him about or if he's really talked about yet, was the dynamic or is the dynamic between Brent Venables during the game and defensive coordinator Ted Roof, how that plays out throughout 60 minutes. How do they communicate what, what happens? Because Ted Roof's calling the defense now, and I asked Venables about that. And Venables didn't have to say much, really, you know, to my answer to my question. He just said, "You know, I, 
when, when you know, I feel like it's necessary, I'll chime in and help out. But other than that, you know, it's, it's kind of a team effort with the defensive coaching staff, you know, throughout the week, putting together a game plan. And I asked Venables, you know, how he's adjusted to, you know, not calling every single defensive play throughout a game. He said, oh, I'm, I've adjusted fine. And that was it. And so, you know, I guess we'll take him at his word. You know, he, he didn't seem like it was that big of a deal to him. In my mind, I feel like it, it, it should be a bigger deal considering this guy has called the defense grant his entire career for the most part. Now he's not every single game. And then we just saw a game like that play out where Oklahoma's defense looked as bad as it did. Yeah. I mean, and of course, I mean, this is, he's never been in this position before. And so I'm sure, you know, from his perspective, it's probably like, ah, you know, you can't, you can't change everything, you know, right away, just based off one game. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I'll be, I mean, going back, I rewatched the game really for the first time, chunks of it today, kind of for the first time. And it's, it's, it's hands down one of the most frustrating OU games I've ever watched. It is, uh, it's, it's maddening all of the small little mistakes that they made. Um, especially after what, ha- especially how they looked the first three weeks of the season, and you know, I know we said this in the post game pod, but it was just it looked like all of the progress that they had made under Venables over the last nine months, or the progress or the the progress that they seemingly made over the first three games, um, you know, in, in the context of of last season or the last couple of seasons, it feels like it was just all wiped away. It feels like whenever it, f- it felt like the very first time that OU went through adversity, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they just reverted back to Alex Grinch defense. And there's a ton of examples that you can point out. I mean, how many times in that game, Lee, did you see OU players trying to rip the ball out of people's hands while they were dragging yeah. them across, you know, the first down marker? Yeah. Like, I mean, that was and- that happened usually about three or four times a game. And, you know, when Alex Grinch was coaching the defense, I don't remember seeing that once in the first three games. And all of a sudden they play Kansas State and boom, you see it like every single series. Uh, that's just an example. But um, the amount of mental busts, the amount of situations where it felt like the, the team was unsure of the call or I mean, yeah, everything that Brent Venable said, everyone looked unsure. They were scared of making mistakes. And as OU fans who have watched this team the last three or four seasons, we're all very familiar with what that looks like. So, I don't know. I keep thinking to myself, if, let's say, let, let this TCU team, I think, is a really good example, right? Going into this season, I, you know, TCU, we know they have some good individual players on their team. For a long time, they were mostly known for their defense there with Gary Patterson. But last season, Lee, their defense completely fell off of a cliff. They were one of the worst defenses in college football last season. They changed their entire coaching staff. A new defensive staff came in there. Even if they would have hired like a whiz defensive coordinator at some point in time, my logic going into the season when I was analyzing TCU would probably have been, well, they're still going to be bad on defense because they have the same players last year and they were bad. And so I keep going back to OU in that context, thinking to myself, man, OU's defense was bad last year. They got a lot of the same players. And if I remove kind of my crimson color glasses, if I remove my biases, how would I analyze this OU team? Probably very similarly to that, right? Like, yeah, they were bad last year and they didn't have a lot of player turnover, so they're going to be bad again. And man, I just, yeah, I, hope it's, I hope it's not that simple. No, it's, it's a good point. But, you know, I know Nebraska was bad, but Nebraska's offense is good. And, and they were off last week, so we didn't get a chance to see Casey Thompson and that, that team you know, how they played after getting embarrassed by, uh, you can't say they got embarrassed by Oklahoma because, I mean, Oklahoma was supposed to win that game and, and they did. So we'll see what Nebraska does this week offensively against a bad Indiana team in Lincoln. 
also, Kent State's got a good offense. I mean, we talked a little bit about this last podcast. I mean, they move the football pretty well against Georgia, who's got the best defense in college football. So it's the, the issues against Kansas State that stood out to me defensively seem to be at linebacker. The linebackers didn't play well, and foot speed at linebacker is severely lacking right now at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, David Aguebu, I know he's lost weight, but he's still not very fast. Uh, Danny Sutzman's not a burner as well. I mean, Deshaun White's essentially a, a nickel now. You know, he's not really playing linebacker, kind of is. So, like, that really hurt them trying to run down Adrian Martinez. And in, in the secondary, Oklahoma's secondary was not good against Kansas State. And I think a lot of it was back to what Venable said in his presser is that players were playing on their heels, not really sure, kind of, uh, you know, not wanting to make mistakes. And I think the, the mix of run pass by Kansas State and, and Oklahoma never really knew when it was going to be a run or a pass. And I think that factored in probably to the poor secondary play a lot of the time. Uh, but man, the secondary was not very good. And so you mix that together and you get what you got against Kansas State. And, uh, you know, the third and 16 play at the end of the game was, you know, one of many big plays, but it seems like the biggest play in the game because that essentially won the game for Kansas State. And just upon rewatching it, Grant, uh, you know, you mentioned in our post-game podcast and you you had a lot more of a, an idea of the game because you watched it on television I hadn't really seen much of it on television so you had a better you know look at what Oklahoma was doing defensively than I did and you had mentioned you know they had they you know Oklahoma had ran the 3-3-5 quite a bit defensively and you know when I rewatched the game back yes they they did use that but I think they they ran their four down linemen probably more than the 3-3-5 in the entirety of the game yeah but, I when I was rewatching it yep I agree yeah but they ran the 3-3-5 way too much, even though that was the case. And my thing, I don't understand why that was even part of the game plan. Maybe, maybe one or two to show them here and there. But the fact that they would do it for multiple series against that offense, a team that's not really going to throw the ball down the field, that didn't make any sense to me. And it seemed like that was a defense that Kansas State was able to run the ball a lot, a lot better in than whenever Oklahoma would go down with their four-down lineman look. They're, they're regular, you know, 4-2-5. Four, four, and so that, that's confusing to me that Oklahoma even thought to utilize that three-down lineman system as much as it did in that game. And that's kind of a problem. And the third and 16, I mentioned that a moment ago, and the reason I brought it up is because third and 16, they had the three-down lineman set late in the game, and for whatever reason, they decided to call man-free and go man and play man in that situation where earlier in the game, in the first quarter, Kansas State had another third and 16, and it was one of the series where the defense was finally starting to settle in and play pretty well. And they went to their three-down lineman look there, but they played cover three. Adrian Martinez had nowhere to throw it because there was plenty of players back defending the pass. He stepped up to run, but since there was plenty of players playing zone defense, they rallied up and tackled them after only nine yards. They punted. I don't understand why that wasn't the call on third and 16 late in the game to have more of a chance to have people rally up to the ball in case Adrian Martinez scrambles. And so I was texting you earlier today after rewatching that. The only logical explanation I can have for that as to why Ted Roof and Brent Venables, I guess, I, I don't know how they collaborated on that third and 16 call late in the game. I'm not sure who called it. I'm assuming Ted Roof because he's the guy calling the plays and Brent Venables obviously didn't overrule him. My only thought process is why they did that is because Oklahoma's secondary had played so poorly in the second half and were not covering well that they were thinking, we got to speed up Adrian Martinez and try to get pressure on him because 
if we have these guys sit back, drop an eight, he's already thrown the ball and found open receivers in the second half when we've done that. And so that's the only thing I can think of is why they decided to go man free on that play. And that it was like a it was a cumulative effect, I think, throughout the entirety game entirety of the game that led up to that really bad call on third and sixteen. Yeah, I mean oh, it's yeah. it's a head scratcher. It's a head scratcher. It's obviously a head scratcher. I was rewatching it today and I do think and I, I think uh you know, I think Brent Venables had a had a show earlier this week too, where he was kind of breaking down this play. And I do think it was Deshaun White who busted. I, I think he was the he was supposed to be the quote unquote spy on that play. Um, of course, you know, I, I wasn't in the defensive call. I don't I don't know exactly what it was. It just kind of when I when I stopped and like I actually paused it and I looked at it, that just kind of seemed to be the most likely uh, what was going on there. And he just he just wasn't there. He thought he was playing deep middle safety. Which I, you know, which is an odd call, right? It's it's odd to have Deshaun White p- playing your deep middle safety, um, and so I, I I have to assume that it was him who who was supposed to be there because there was no one else in the middle of the field. He was the only guy in the middle of the field. He was just way too deep. So, I mean, it sucks. I mean, a, a, an insanely insanely frustrating game, and going back and watching it, it's mostly frustrating because. There was just far too much Adrian Martinez running around with a ton of space on third and seven plus to the point where it just absolutely driving me bonkers insane. And um, I don't know how the I don't know how the game I don't. And maybe this was the game plan going in. But if I'm going into this game, I'm thinking one of two things. We cannot we cannot you know, we cannot let these two things happen to us. We cannot let Deuce Vaughn have over 200 yards of offense and just shred us. And we cannot let Adrian Martinez run around in the backfield with a ton of space. If we do those two things, Kansas State will not be able to move the ball. And hey, they didn't do they didn't do either of those things really. So there you go. I mean, they might have, you know, upon rewatching it, OU probably pressured Martinez maybe four times in the entire game, and every single time he did a great job. He got rid of the football, or he stepped up, or moved around, and didn't get touched. And it was really impressive. I mean, he played really well, but like Kansas State pass plays, they max protected a lot. You know, they're five offensive linemen, plus they had to keep Deuce Vaughn in there to block. So you have six guys blocking only four. Oklahoma was blitzing. You know, they, they'd only blitz, you know, four or five. You know, there was one time when Jaden Davis blitzed off the corner. I would, they should have done that way more often. Should have done that way more often in this game. But that was the play, though. Like Martinez saw it and then threw to the vacated spot and picked up an explosive play it's like no he didn't that was to his no he didn't on that play that was no that was deshaun white's really really nice pass breakup talking about the first half yeah it was in the first half jade davis from the side martinez leaves the pocket and he 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 throws that floater to senate and deshaun white makes one of the best defensive plays of the game and and breaks it up okay well it was it was eight it was the best throw that Adrian Martinez made. Probably the best throw of his career. Yeah, that was, and that was a really nice play by White uh, because you know, the ball was right there and White did a good job of not giving up on it and ripping it, getting the ball out. Uh, what I'm referring to happened in the second half when K-State was going right to left and he, they blitzed Jaden Davis again and he, he got there, but uh, Adrian Martinez threw to his vacated spot and it was, it was the play where Key Lawrence lost his footing and it was, uh, I can't remember who caught it. I think it was Malik Knowles. And it was like a 25-yard gain, or maybe it was Phillip Brooks. I can't remember. And it was a tw- like a 25, 30-yard gain to the near sideline. And it was just like, 
man, this guy's making every right read. And it's a mixture between Oklahoma probably making it easy on him, but also him making some really nice throws and plays. And you know, this just came into my brain. I'll see what you think about this. And we saw at least, you know, we saw this in the first three games. This is just Brent Venables' style. But man, Grant, it brings back a lot of memories from the first time around when Venables is at OU. Boy, OU gives up a lot of space, a lot of cushion, don't they? And in, in the secondary. And I think that that also probably is a calming effect for people like Adrian Martinez because, man, it, it, there's just not a whole lot of tight pressure throws he has to make. And I know the whole idea of it is that they can come up and shrink that space you know, after the snap or maybe pre-snap or blitz from different ways. And, and it had been really successful for, for, for the first three games. But I think a lot of that space OU gives up a lot of the time on defense, I think that helped Adrian Martinez a lot in that game as well. I don't know what your thoughts are on just all the cushion Oklahoma gives up defensively. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm not sure about that because I I mean I I go and watch stuff now. I mean, the best defenses in the in the country give up a lot of space too. So I I don't know. I mean, I watched I watched I watched the Minnesota Golden Gophers just absolutely just put it to Michigan State on Saturday, and their corners and their safety were giving up a lot of space too, and it didn't matter for them. So I I don't know, man. I, I'm I, I don't really want, I I I always like to shrink the space. I think it makes it a lot easier for for quarterbacks to see things when you're given a lot of cushion, but I, I don't know. I don't want to go there. I, I don't. I, I don't know if that really matters. If, if if you have a good defense, I don't think it matters. No, I, I get that. I it just the, Martinez looked really comfortable all night, and I I just think that probably in my mind, I think that factored in that he would look out at the defense and he'd see a lot of open space and kind of get an idea of where his guys were going to be and where you got. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's just, maybe that's just me, but I think that was a small factor as well as why he played so, so well in that game. I mean, what it's, it was, what it was Lee is it's probably just a combination of one Kansas state, probably thinking that they could get through their first three games without showing anything. And a combination of Kansas state still, you know, still a lot of guys who are 18, 19, 20 year old kids. And they just, they don't, they don't always play consistently week to week. And also, I mean, yeah, Colin Klein, a new offensive coordinator, and I don't know. They, he, I guess he wasn't really coordinating the offense in the first three games, but, the, but he decided to against Oklahoma. Uh, let's try to put a, a happy face, a happy spin on this. Upon watching the game back, I'll, I'll tell you something I really liked, and this was evident in the game as well, live, but it was even more evident to me after watching it back. Man, I really like the way OU ran the football, specifically Eric Gray in the second half. I mean, OU ran the ball really well against a good defense. And I was looking back, Grant, the first six carries that Eric Gray got after halftime, here's what they all went for. 11 yards, 17 yards, 9 yards, 25, 10, 14. I mean, they were gashing Kansas State, and it's just it's so frustrating that they would get across midfield and penalties or they would stall out and that's what killed the offensive momentum were the penalties I think they had six or seven offensive penalties in the game total and I believe four or five of them were just false start penalties so I really liked the way Eric Gray played he was great huge props I mean he he made a play I think it was in the first half where he took a little dump off pass and spun out of a tackle broke another tackle and picked up 20 I mean, that was a great individual play where he had no business getting the first down. He did. So I really like the way Eric Gray played, and he's played 
fantastic the last two games. And if that's the Eric Gray Oklahoma's going to get the rest of the year, this offense is going to continue to be really, really good. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, with me, I, I stick with my guns a little bit more. I mean, after the Kansas or the, after after the Kent State game, I was on the bandwagon. I was like, yeah, I was like, I can I I can see what people are talking about with Marcus Major versus Eric Gray now. And of course, the last two games, it's just it's not even a question. Eric Gray just looks like the much better player. So I, he does. I don't know. And like it's not I, like they and Major got touches against Kansas State, but he he just couldn't do anything with them. <laughs> he did, did nothing with them. He couldn't. So, he couldn't get out. Get out. Get out. Arm tackles. He, he just. He couldn't do anything. Yeah, Eric Gray. I thought. I, I thought against K State was. I, Eric Gray was probably the best player for OU last Saturday uh, against Kansas State. So, yeah. I mean, I hope he's hot. Keep keep riding him if he's hot. And I just man, take advantage of him more in the pass game, please. Split him at like. I, college defenses do not cover running backs out of the backfield a lot of the time. Just like please get him the ball in the passing game. You know, and I liked, I liked the way Dylan Gabriel played, with the exception of three throws. You know, I just he, I thought he was really good, but those three throws were just really killer missed throws. And I mean, two more than three. I, I watched that one back where he was trying to throw in that cover two hole to Mims, and the early in the fourth quarter that you said it was a tough, you know, tough throw, and it was. You're right. Uh, it's it's a throw that higher level players you'd expect to make. You know, we don't think Dylan Gabriel is some elite NFL prospect so yeah I'll give him a pass on that that would have been a tough throw but yeah the one to, to Stoops the missed throw I you know I finally saw the replay of that or saw that you know on the TV copy oh my gosh oh my gosh that it was it was just as bad I mean I don't know which one's worse that miss or the Farouk miss down the field against Nebraska uh, they were they were both really the, bad the Stoops miss was way worse because the Sto- cause Stoops was more open than Farouk was yeah yeah I'd, I'd agree with that and there was and then, less there was less traffic yeah. to throw through as well. I mean, it it should have been it, it should have been a perfect angle, perfect view for for da- for for Gabriel just to, I mean, to just to just basically pay, just loft know, it up, catch, just loft it up there, let him go run underneath it. I mean, the safety had no chance anyways. He couldn't get over the top fast enough. So there was that one, and then yeah, the fourth down throw to Stoops, where Stoops was wide open, tons of cushion given up by Kansas State, and Gabriel threw it wide and Stoops had to try to dive and he couldn't catch it uh, the other one was I snapchatted you a, a video where Mims made like a, a, a double or triple move uh, and got inside the defensive back and Gabriel just sailed it on him where there was no safety coming down so all he needed to do was just throw the ball in front of Mims and let Mims run underneath and catch it boom that's it was on third down I believe as well so that yeah and if he hit him in stride punt. too he breaks a tackle he might be gone yeah so that was one so I mean who knows though so those were, you know, that one was not as impactful really as the other two because one should have been a touchdown, the other one should have kept the drive going. I guess the one to Mim should have kept the drive going as well. But you know, other than that, I thought he played pretty well. I thought he did. Yeah, I thought yeah. he ran the offense well. I I, I thought he played. I I thought he played well too. I, I think there's definitely some things he can build on. I just he can't miss those throws. But also, I like I said, I'm kind of sanguine about it. He is going to miss those throws. Two or three of them a game. We've been we've been I'm, saying it since the first game. Yep. It's he's not going to change. There might be games where he's hot and he hits all of them, but he's not going to be consistent with it. That's just how it is. I I, I really do yeah. think that's just who he is. Yeah, um, and I agree. And, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I, do you have more on 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 Gabriel? Because I wanted to um, I because we we didn't talk about this enough on the Sunday pod, Lee. Uh, but I thought maybe the most the most impactful 
kind of this the 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 moment that told us the most about that game Lee was the was the substitution thing on fourth and five that was a that was just I thought narratively and I thought just in terms of like symbolism that right there said Kansas State is is just on a different level than OU right now and OU can't win this game because Kansas State is just on a different level and that was like a it was just it was just a, it was a master class in getting out coached is what that was yeah, that was, and Jeff Levy took full responsibility for that on Monday. He was asked about that, and as that, you know, as that was unfolding, you know, from the crow's nest at Owen Field, and I saw Oklahoma try to sub or sub like they did. I, I thought, oh, oh, I know where this is going. I know exactly where this is going, and I just don't like. I know why OU sub because obviously they had a certain play call in mind that required. I believe it was Marcus Major that came onto the field or whoever. But in my mind, it's like you, Jeff Levy, man, you can't. You, you got to relay that down or, you know, we, we got to if we're going to call this play, we can't sub. I mean, that's you can't do that uh, because that's exactly what happens. K-State's allowed to sub, too, and they can take their time. And that's exactly what happened. And then, you know, the delay of game happened and, and Levy said, ah, I, I thought about calling a timeout, but I thought we'd get it off. And honestly, I, not burning a timeout there is fine no. with me because Oklahoma no, 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 needed no, all no, the timeouts. No. I, 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 you have to. That was at that point in time. That was the most important play of the game. Absolutely, it, that was a seven point. It was game, twenty four right? to twenty at that time. It was. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was. Or it may have been twenty seven. Is it? Yeah. I mean, let me look it up. I don't know. I mean, twenty seven twenty. Your defense has been bad the entire night. You have like you you haven't you've you've gotten into Kansas State territory essentially every single drive and stalled out. You're in that situation. I man, that was an important important play in the game. Oh, yeah, an incredibly important play in the game. I'm trying to find it here. Let's see. The uh, incompletion to, to Stoops was in the third quarter, late third quarter, so this would have happened. This was like quarter. with 11 and a half minutes to go in the game, I thought, because they punted and then Kansas State went down and scored to make it 34-20. to 20. Let's see. Why can't I find it? Either yeah, so I mean I don't know I, I'm just I'm a big fan of holding on to timeouts, especially when you're losing. So I mean I don't know I just didn't. It was more like once you subbed, that was kind of it, man. You you kind of screwed yourself there, uh, because obviously Kansas State can take the time. So oh here we go, I found it. It was oh I mean this was actually pretty. This was in the third quarter, kind of early. Yeah, you're right. It was twenty four to twenty. See, and this is why, yeah, I mean, it was still pretty early in the no, game. No, no, 24-20 almost makes it worse because you're going in to take the lead. You're going in there to essentially take all of the pressure that is on you and completely transfer that to Kansas State. When they're on the road, you're in your home stadium, you have to score a touchdown on that drive. I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if them, uh, no, I wouldn't I be surprised if them punting I, I on that drive that or the penalty after that. I wouldn't be surprised if their win expectancy was over 50% before that penalty and then after they punted it probably just just took a nosedive Nah, i just this is like where you're anal like i just don't i mean there was there was seven and a half minutes ago in the third quarter it was a four-point game the defense had just gotten a stop previously you felt pretty good about your defense figuring out kansas state's offense i didn't uh, yeah i i mean i i mean i did I'm, I'm sure they did too so i just don't like burning timeouts whenever you're you know, timeouts are important especially in the second half 
They're important. Punting is bad. Yeah, they be Kansas State. Anything that happens that forces you to punt, punting it is, is bad. bad. If you have to call a timeout to prevent yourself from punting, you freaking do it. Unless you're like, unless you, unless you're at the very, very end of the game, and you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need it. No, I, I think it's. I mean, yeah, I mean, your your uh, your thing is very defensible. It's just, it's a, it's an idea. I guess it's it's person to person. What you, I, I mean, the the flow of the game for me was probably very similar to the way Jeff Lebby and Brent Venables, because like you're always confident that you're you're fine. That's how, that's how I feel always. I mean, I thought Oklahoma, like, yeah, it sucked that they didn't get the playoff, but I thought surely they're going to figure out this Kansas State offense. I mean, they had already got off the field. Oklahoma's been really good in the third quarter, and, you know, they punted it back to them, and then they went on a, you know, a long drive and, you know, kicked a field goal. So, not great. Uh, I, yeah, no. I was going to talk more about Gabriel, but who cares? Let's, uh, let's talk OUTCU. As of now, we're recording Wednesday evening. OU is a six and a half point favorite. You know this this line opened up OU just four and a half, and it's been bet up to you know six and a half. So so I'm sure some sharp money coming in on OU. And and honestly, that's that would have been that would have been the right move. I thought that opened up pretty low. I, I thought the the number would open up around a touchdown, and it hasn't even gotten to seven yet. And we'll see if it gets to seven. I don't know. I'm sure if it does, there'll probably be some buyback on TCU. Anyways, those of you out there that don't care about sports betting probably don't care about that. But uh, OU, less than a, you know, six and a half point favorite on the road, and it's you don't know what you're going to get from this team. And it's mainly the defense. The defense played so poorly, and now you're up against a TCU offense, and you talked about him a little bit, Max Duggan. They got a lot of good skill players. Kendra Miller is a really good running back. Different kind of player than Deuce Vaughn. Big guy. You got to bring him to the ground. He's got some, some speed, too. And so... I. This is a Garrett Riley offense, Grant. Lincoln Riley's brother. He's calling the plays. And TCU's offense has been awesome. They've only played three games. And one of them was against Colorado. The other one was against Tarleton State. They were State. decidedly not awesome against Colorado, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. They're working out the kinks. Uh, but, I mean, against SMU, who's, you know, like they're a real team. I'm not sure about SMU's defense. I don't know. But... TCU's offense did whatever it wanted for the first half. Stalled out a lot in the second half. I, you know, full disclosure, I didn't get a chance to watch the entire game, but I saw them hit a lot of explosive plays in the first half, and you know they got they got the win there in Dallas. So I, I, they're going to spread it out, and this is going to be another linebacker game, Grant, a linebacker and DB game. Like they're going to probably see David Ogwebu slow on tape, sl- slow foot speed. They're going to swing pass out, try to get players in space make Oklahoma's corners get off blocks and make tackles. Uh, a lot of the similar things uh, that Kansas State did in the passing game probably, and they're going to mix in obviously some inside zone, outside zone with Kendra Miller, and they'll have some wrinkles here and there, and Max Duggan can run it too. So I, I don't really know what we're going to get from Oklahoma's defense in this game. It's a much better test than Kansas State. Can they bounce back off the, uh, off the mat? And I, I wish I had some, some real insightful things to tell you guys. I just – I don't. I, this Oklahoma's got to be what they were the first three games, not what they were the last time out. Oh, you just, they have to be a lot better. They have to be a lot better. They have to hope, they have to pray that, you know, that Garrett Riley is not as good of a play caller or designer as Colin Klein is. They have to, and they just got to play better. They got to hope that last week was just a total fluke. But I don't know. I mean, we've, we've seen that type of defense 
out of guys on that def- uh, players on that defense just far too many times for me to feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So I, I I'm honest, I'll be honest with you, man. This game's on this game's on the left shoulder of Dylan Gabriel and the offensive line for OU. I think they're probably gonna have to outscore TCU. Which hey, I mean they're going against a Sunny Dykes defense. That's not a terrible bet. No, it's certainly possible. It's just man, a big part of the the bet on OU going into this year is Dylan Gabriel was going to be backed by a better defense than he was backed by at UCF. And it was. That was certainly the case for the first three games. And now all of a sudden, he's in a shootout with Kansas State. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, he's, he's a good player, but he's not going to put the team on his back and he's not going to win a game for it. He just isn't. That's not the kind of player he is. So the defense has got to step up, and that's squarely on the shoulders of Brent Venables and Ted Roof. Got to figure their stuff out. I mean, this TCU offense is explosive. And Brent Venables, is, is, he had a lot of positive things to say about TCU's wide receiver group. And Quentin Johnson, the guy that destroyed Oklahoma last year, I, I didn't see him much against SMU. He's, they have other guys, he's on a milk too, but he's this certainly year. out there. He's on a milk carton this year, which means danger, alert. Which means they, they're like, I, I don't know how else. He's played. He started and played every game. I watched the SMU game. He was out there for every single play, essentially. Just not getting a lot of targets. And when I see that now, it's just like I got PTSD. I'm thinking to myself, okay, that means they're saving everything for this game for him. Ugh. And I just Three and we catches, just know yards we also just know SMU. because Max Duggan, Max Duggan just wore out OU's defense last year, thrown to Quentin Johnston in Norman on on our home field. I mean, it's, it Max Duggan essentially did last season what Adrian Martinez did all game last week just at a higher level with more chunk plays. And as a game that OU won because TCU's defense was a, was a dumpster fire and Caleb Williams feasted. But I don't know, man. I'm, like, I'm, I'm scared after watching last week. I'm scared going against Max Duggan and, and Quentin Johnston right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what the total is of this game, but it, it might be a, a decent bet to take the over. And that's without I, even that's not even is. mentioning Kendra Miller, who is probably their best NFL prospect on offense. I feel. Yeah, he's a nice player. I, he just uh, he's a smooth runner and he's big, and he's he's kind of he's hard to tackle. He he had a nice touchdown touchdown run in the first half where he broke like three tackles. You know, SMU couldn't bring him down in the secondary. He reminds me of uh, uh, the average. My- Eight yards of carry. It reminds me of a more slimmed down uh, Ramondre. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. I think Ramondre is a little more explosive, but uh, I can see that. But I, I'll be honest, I don't have a whole lot on this matchup. It's I, I don't know what you're going to get from Oklahoma's defense. I, mean, I TCU's offense is good. I on the other side of the football, unless you have anything else you want to add on Oklahoma's defense. Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if there's any... I know Brent Venables has said that there's not going to be any huge changes. I mean, he, he wouldn't say that in a press conference anyway, even if there is. So I, I, don't, I don't really put a lot of stock in, you know, into that. But yeah, I'm going to be looking for that. Um, hey, I, and like, I, know it's a, I know it's a stereotype. I know it's a cliche at this point in time. Um, Justin Broyles was really, really bad on Saturday night. He, he, he was. And that's not to say that he was he was the biggest problem. He wasn't. Uh, Igwebu and Stutzman were both quite a bit worse, but uh, he was pretty bad too. Um, and so uh, he played a lot, played a lot of snaps. So I'm curious to see if if, if Key Lawrence gets more run. And Key, Key Lawrence still played a decent amount of snaps on, on Saturday night, but he w- he wasn't good no, either. No, he wasn't. 
There's a reason why there's a reason why Broyles was playing so many snaps because Key Lords wasn't playing very well. Uh, they, that's a problem. I mean, they got an issue there at safety. Yeah, and and like and I'm, that's that's squarely on Key. Key's the guy that's supposed to. I mean, he's more talented than Justin Broyles. He's got to figure it out, man. Uh, it, it yeah, Justin Broyles is not good. The guy just does not. He's not very savvy in coverage, and he's been in college for this is what year six for him. He, he just doesn't. He just did. He, he just he ain't it, man. I, he, he gets there late. He can't turn his head. He doesn't have a good feel of where guys are going. And they're playing a lot more zone right now, which zone is easy. It's easy compared to playing man. Just so, yeah, the safety spot right now, you know, opposite of Billy Bowman, it's an issue. Yeah, and that, I mean, <laughs> and when they're good. running out the, when they're out the, you know, running out the three down lineman look, the three three five, or it's it's more of a three two six actually, if you want to count Deshaun White as a as a safety there or as a defensive back. Um, I mean, there there are three safeties in that alignment starting out yes uh, on Saturday and remember Lee this is that's a defense where it's predicated completely on having really good safeties who can come downhill and stop the run game that's the whole point of that defense essentially and I OU rolled out to start that game of Billy Bowman who we love who I think is suited for that role but the other safeties Lee were Justin Broyles and Damon Harmon those aren't really guys that I want coming up into the box to stop the run game yeah, I mean, or at yeah. least I don't want to rely on those guys, and that's that's kind of what that defense does in that situation. Boy, and, and Justin Harrington has fallen off the face of the earth. I, is he not a guy that can play one of those safety spots instead of Key Lawrence or Justin? Bro- I, I just don't. Clearly, Deshaun White's got a stranglehold on that cheetah position. Uh, I don't know. It's just hey, just hope that it's not a it's not a but, you know the more things change, the more they stay the same situation. You really hope that's not the case. <laughs> So, yeah, on the other side of the football, it's interesting. So, I think it's really encouraging the way Oklahoma's offense played against Kansas State going into this game against TCU because this TCU defense grant, systematically, it's like the same thing as Kansas State. They play a 3-3-5. And so, the difference that, at least against SMU, I saw, it seems like this TCU defense is more aggressive in a lot of ways than Kansas State. But I think Oklahoma can take advantage of that because TCU's defense was really good at stopping the run against SMU. SMU could not get the, the running game going aside from a couple of snaps here and there. And that's, that was the key to the game for them. Oklahoma's going to be a better running team than SMU you know, against those light boxes, especially what, you know, what we saw in the second half against Kansas State's 3-3-5. You, know, you get that. Oklahoma runs the ball well because TCU's defense, from what I saw, it's very reliant on their linebackers and their safeties being very aggressive coming up to stop the run. If Oklahoma was able to run the football, which, I mean, I, the entire Jeff Levy offense is, is based around running the ball successfully, so this isn't breaking any news, but, I mean, you can, they can run it well, and those linebackers and safeties are, are cheating up more. Man, the RPO game will be wide open for OU over the middle of the field, more so than ever. And I, I, I can see Oklahoma. There's a lot of avenues where Oklahoma can get yards against this TCU defense. Just take away the penalties, man. Take away the penalties think, like we saw against Kansas State. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah. I mean, OU, OU doesn't shoot themselves in the foot. Dylan Gabriel doesn't miss those two throws that we already talked about. They don't have those pre-snap penalties. OU, OU puts 50 up against K-State, over 600 yards of offense. They, oh, Kansas State did not stop Oklahoma on Saturday. Oklahoma stopped Oklahoma. And so I, I was really encouraged by, by what I saw from the offense because, 
you can clean up false start penalties. Those are things that you can that you can you know that you can get better with. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see if that becomes a trend or anything like that. But um, I don't know, Manly. I, I would say I don't think being aggressive against OU's offense is smart. I think it's actually, especially if you have a really good defense or like offense like TCU. I think right now the play against OU is to let them get their yards in between the twenties, and then see if they're gonna like force them to go the entire field. Because right now they're like, especially against Kansas State, they're probably gonna shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, it's it's all on tape for them. I mean, I as a defensive coordinator though, can you think, man, I I'm gonna try to rely on the other team to commit all these penalties that they hadn't done the first three games. I, yeah. I mean, you're not going to rely I mean, a on a lot of it. it that's kind of what that defense is supposed to do. It's supposed to, it's supposed to force teams to, to be perfect down the field. It's supposed to, it's like, you're supposed to force them to take what they can get. And an OU offense that desperately just wants to be aggressive and wants to huck bombs. I don't know. You're kind of forced them to play left-handed or right-handed. If Dylan Gabriel, um, if you're, if, if you're forcing them to dink and dunk, because that's not Dylan Gabriel's not good at that. Well, that's the issue. I mean, that, that's why they the reason why TCU is able to get SMU to dink and dunk so much is because SMU couldn't run the football. Oklahoma runs the ball like it did against Kansas State. They're uh, TCU's defense is going to be forced to come up, and there's going to be more openings for those deep shots. And I mean, that's that's the Jeff Levy offense. And I mean, that's that's kind of what we saw play out a lot against Kansas State and so I, mean, I was really encouraged I, to see how much how much the deep shots were open against K-State I mean if they get right, they get to yeah. the point where they're hot and they're connecting on all of those man they're they're gonna they're gonna knock some teams out really quickly this year but that's what you hope you, you hope that they can just get to that point point. and SMU had a couple of shots that they didn't take advantage of there was one where I mean a guy just dropped a dropped a Tanner Mordecai deep ball that could have been a touchdown he just dropped it I think on third down and man TCU at least you know when I saw in the first first half first half and, and change TCU's best corner Travius Hodges Tomlinson was having a rough go at it in that game you know he had a couple penalties they were kind of going at him gave up a touchdown so I expect him to shut down Marvin Mims basically on Saturday that's basically what I think that's what that means he had a rough game and He'll bounce back and play his best. Pretty game sure uh, Hodges Tomlinson had a pretty rough season last year too. He may he may be kind of a he may have been a one hit wonder. Hmm, interesting. But also, I mean, I'm uh, I'm knocking tw- on wood yeah. right now. Guy that flashed to me in the game, Josh Newton, number twenty four, corner. He was flying around, very aggressive early on in that game against SMU. We'll see what that means, if anything. I mean, the guy that stood out to me on tape for Kansas State, I don't recall seeing him much at all against OU. It was uh, the guy, Brent's guy, you were talking about that corner that was playing pretty well. And then there was another guy, another, I think, safety. Uh, yeah, like I said, I said after it, and I, I still mean it after what Julius Brent's is Kansas State's best player on defense. I understand that Anadike Uzama is there. Brent's is better. They're both really good. Yeah, Uzama, I, you know, I, I'll admit, I, I don't. I don't watch a whole lot of the line play throughout games when I'm watching this stuff back. So, you know, this could be uh, a bad take, but I, I it, Uzama, I, I mean, I don't think he really factored a whole lot into that game. I he didn't made a see play. Him. He made a play kind of, he, he made a play right at the beginning of the game on Eric Gray where he split a double team, tackled him for, for no gain. Uh, but other than that, he was pretty quiet. That was a, that was a matchup that I, I thought Anton he, Harrison won yeah. decisively. Did he maybe bat a ball down or something? Yeah, at some he point? may have. Uh, or maybe I. 
So, but yeah, I just yeah, uh, the guy yeah. who flashed the most Oklahoma. for K State on you know on the defensive line was Huggins, their their nose tackle. Ah, old Eli, right? He's been there forever. Yeah, yeah that guy's. I think it's that same yeah, guy. That guy's been there. I mean, yeah, they have like what Kansas State. Like they were saying on the broadcast, they had like they had like four or five guys starting in that game who were sixth year seniors. I think the oh yeah, like the guy from NDSU who I said in the in the pregame pod that oh you should target that guy on Mims. Um, they said on the on the broadcast he's played the most college football games ever, more than anyone ever. This was like. <laughs> Like oh, that game okay. last night was like his fifty eighth start in college or something like that. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's all I have on on this matchup. Uh, it's just at this point we we don't know a lot about TCU day, at man. this point. They've played they've played the worst uh, Power Five team in the country, Colorado. They played Tarleton State, um, and then they just played SMU. So I don't know. We I. I, I think it's likely, right, that, that we saw the real TCU last week uh, because that was an important game for them. Yeah, you know, Sonny Dykes really wanted to win that game. So I'm sure they weren't really holding a lot of stuff. They probably had a lot of new stuff for that game. But, you know, I mean, they, they were really explosive on offense. Kind of similarly to OU, they weren't super, they weren't super efficient on offense. They only had about a 46% success rate. Uh, but they were really, really explosive. 20% of their snaps were explosive plays. So... We'll see, and then, you know, in the second half, SMU was able to get a little bit going on offense, uh, but still, SMU wasn't particularly efficient on offense either, so we'll see. I don't, I don't think we know really anything about TCU's defense yet. All right, yeah, I mean, it's, it just it seemed like a team that, I mean, SMU's got a really good offense. I mean, SMU statistically's offense is good, so, I mean, that was a test for them, and, and for the most part, they made some plays, and, and they won the football game. Uh, SMU almost came back, but uh, you know they were able to hold on. Before we get to the Big Twelve discussion, make our picks. Which, by the way, <laughs> apologies for the picks last week, everybody. Hopefully, you uh, took a break in uh, in uh, playing our picks. But uh, this is somewhat breaking news, at least today. And we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast. Not a recruiting show, but it's worth mentioning that the five-star defensive lineman David Hicks announced that he is committed to texas a&m and i'm looking over twitter and uh, there, there's some drama involved with this in the sense that it looks like oklahoma was I, I'll, I'll go ahead and bring up carrie murdoch from sooner scoop and carrie tweeted out that he was told that the oklahoma staff was told by hicks that he was committing to oklahoma on wednesday today as we record this and uh, then Kerry tweeted another, uh, another one a little bit later saying that he got clarification that not all of the staff had gotten the news uh, about Hicks going to A&M, but Hicks did reach out to Todd Bates 10 minutes before the televised announcement where Hicks picked Texas A&M and not OU. So uh, this is the thing. I, I wanted to bring it up because you know, on this show months ago, I mean, I, I had heard from a really good source that Oklahoma – was basically sure that they were going to get David Hicks. And I didn't know at the time when his, uh, his commitment was going to be. Obviously, it, it wasn't until now. And so I just kind of thought, I mean, a lot of time has passed since that. And I'll be honest, I haven't gotten any updated information. So who knows? Maybe things have changed. But look at Kerry's tweets. And Kerry's a lot more dialed into recruiting, obviously, than I am. And he's got some good sources. And so it would appear that going into the day, Oklahoma still was at the same spot, thinking that David Hicks was going to be a Sooner or at least commit to be Oklahoma. And uh, at the very last second, uh, he 
and who knows whenever he made that decision himself. Who knows? Maybe he made that call weeks ago, and uh, he just didn't tell OU. But uh, interesting. I mean, again, it's yeah, it'd be great to get a five-star defensive lineman, Grant. Uh, but you know, he's going to A and M, and all right. I mean, disappointing, but onward and upward. You just broke that news to me. I, I hadn't heard that, Lee. That's massive. That's one of the biggest recruiting surprises I've seen since I've followed OU football. Oh, come I'm on. I'm dead serious. That was not that that is a massive surprise. There is nobody who saw that coming. That's that's well, a bigger I mean, that's surprise just... than Anthony Evans flipping to OU from Georgia a month or so ago. Like a much bigger surprise. Who's Anthony Evans? Is that a guy that OU had? Yeah, the re- uh, receiver oh, from yeah. uh from Houston. Was he a 23 player or Yeah, he's player? in this class. Oh, so so OU's class is not as good anymore. Yeah, Lee, this is actually your. This is a huge deal. I, this is gonna this is gonna cause meltdowns. This is a huge deal. Well, I mean, sure. I, you know, I don't really. Yeah, I know you don't I, really like follow. This is a massive deal. Massive deal. He was no. I, like, I, okay, I, like I, I don't even like. I can't even begin to like because you don't follow the recruiting stuff over the last couple weeks. It was basically, this is a lock, shut this thing down, it's OU, and it's over. I, I didn't even, there was no, no realistic chance of A&M coming back into the picture at all until you just told me that, that they won out. Well, here's the thing, though. From the beginning, though, wasn't A&M the, this guy's like main pick? And then no. like, OU kind of slid in? And I, I, no. I, was thought, I, I always thought A&M kind of had this guy at the no. start. And then OU was able to to basically flip him with Todd Bates, and then now he's back to A and M. That's what I always thought with this whole thing. I thought because like people had, I thought like people like had assumed that he had already committed to Texas A and M like months and months and months ago, but obviously he didn't. No, you're wrong about that. I, you're and wrong so, about that. I, it's and not uh, not not that it, not that Texas A and M wasn't ever a threat, but over the last few months, I mean, it was essentially yeah. I mean, this it's an uphill battle, and this and OU has essentially won this thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like at the beginning of it, like his recruitment. Yeah, I, it doesn't I think, matter. Like I'm telling, like I'm telling like you, going like, into this because he's kind of close to, going to this. Him. That floors me. That's the most surprised I've like ever been uh, of recruiting news. All right. I mean, okay. Uh, I just don't understand. I mean, aside from Miles Garrett, are there? Are te- is Texas A&M putting a bunch of guys in the NFL that are good? No. no. Recently, like I don't. I mean, I know they're getting all these great defensive players, but. You know, I, I'll admit, I once guys get kind of go to the NFL, I kind of lose track of defensive guys here and there. So maybe there's a bunch, but uh, and like that's but, I just yeah, it's, I don't know. it sucks. I mean, it's it, it is what it is now. I I, I think a lot of people are going to look at that, and it's a speculation at this point. And a lot of people are probably going to assume that NIL played a massive, massive part in that. That's where we are now. It's where we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, cool. Yeah, hey, good. I, I, and I know Best like you don't David. like you you don't get too worked up about stuff, but this that one hurts. That one hurts a lot. Here's the thing. Uh it would probably I'd probably feel a little bit different if Oklahoma would, have, would just would have beaten Kansas State. But like the fact that they I lost know, that I game, know, I know that you would feel differently too. So like why can't you why can't you just like separate those two things? Like, oh you had a well, ton, a ton just, of I, momentum on the recruiting trail. This hurts. Well, I, that's what I think. It's I just have a very uh, that one game has given me a sense of all right. Well, 
I guess this is just what Oklahoma is. I'm sorry, you like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I, Lee. You put you put a dominant nose tackle on that game in, in that game against Kansas State, a guy who can shed double teams. Oh, you can win that game just with one guy like that. Yeah, but who knows if he's even that guy? I mean, there's a good chance he's a five star guy, but I mean, I think Oklahoma's got some pretty good interior players. We saw we saw Jalen Redmond flash, Isaiah Co flash. Tenzo, what are you trying to do? Want to see it more? You want to win a national championship? Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Is that's like, oh, you losing that game to Kansas State? It just what I'm saying is that they shouldn't it, lose that game. That that's a game that a guy like David Hicks on the roster, if he is what everyone wants him to be, that's a game that a guy like that can prevent you from losing single handedly. I mean, come on, tell me the guy's going to be Nick Fairley in the the national title number one game defensive line just, recruit in the country. Well, we'll see. I watched a dude, we'll see, uh, uh, watched a guy for a true freshman nose tackle for Georgia against Kent State. His name's Bear Alexander. He was a guy, he's from Texas. He's a five-star defensive lineman. OU was in on him for a little bit, but obviously Georgia, you know, won that out. Watch him against State. That dude was dominating. Is is way more talented than anyone that OU has on their roster in the defensive line right now. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I want those big... Blue chip guys, five star guys, defensive linemen too. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's no great, but I mean, the fact that Oklahoma was supposed to get them and like they were there, they haven't even been there for these guys until now. So, that's a positive. But also, heck, again, I, the reason I'm bringing up the Kansas State thing is that it just it's a sense that they're just this is what Oklahoma is, man. Like maybe this is what OU is, even if they get these awesome defensive players. Who can, so what? Are they going to lose to Kansas State again? <laughs> like I. I mean, only time will tell, but it, that's that's what that's my overreaction to one game. I mean, maybe I'll feel differently if they come out and they look like they did the first three games defensively against TCU, and then they play consistently for the rest of the year. But I don't know if that's going to happen. It totally it's just so, warped my. It's so odd to me that you see that game. and you're just like, oh, I don't care if they get objectively elite players. Like that's what's going. No, that's I, what's going to make those games against Kansas State much much less likely to happen. Like if Baker Mayfield was yeah, the quarterback I mean, for OU on 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 Saturday, they would have won that game easily. One guy, I, I I get it, but I mean they they didn't get him, but they were supposed to get him. The fact that they were even like in the conversation is an upgrade over the last regime. So maybe look at the next guy. So I it's just I, I don't have that. Uh, that mentality where I look so far ahead to that kind of stuff. And they still have a lot of good players in their recruiting class. I suppose it's not, you know, the ink's not dry yet. So who knows if they end up going seven and five this year, all those guys will probably decommit. <laughs> Hope that doesn't happen. Then that would be just a, uh, you know, I, I think you go and, and you try to hire Chris Kleiman. Sorry, Brent, you're, you're done for after, after one year. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Is that, uh, yeah, breaking news on Western uh, That's Everest huge. Like, that's huge. Host here. I mean, that's like, that's. That's one of the bigger. I mean, that's massive. That's actually that's very disappointing to hear. All right, uh, man. A really interesting slate of Big Twelve games going on this weekend, and we're gonna actually pick a couple of them. So we're gonna save two of the bigger ones for the picks. But they're all kind of. I mean, they're all interesting. I mean, obviously OU TCU is interesting. Uh, we're gonna save Tech, K State, and Oklahoma State Baylor for the picks. But, I mean, Iowa State at Kansas is interesting. Kansas is undefeated, man. I mean, if you're a KU fan, isn't the, just everything else the rest of the season just kind of gravy at this point, like icing on the cake? You've already 
You've already got your, your season win total over. The offense is great. Uh, I mean, obviously, they've set a standard now where KU fans are probably thinking, oh, man, they could, they could, win a, you know, they, they could go to a bowl game for the first time in a while, sure. But, uh, man, I mean, it's just no matter what happens if you're a KU fan, clearly things are going in the right direction. And they're, they're catching three points at home against Iowa State. Iowa State coming off that loss to Baylor. I mean, to me, this is a stay-away game. I wouldn't bet it. But, you know, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Iowa State this year, and I know you're not either. I could totally see Kansas winning this game. Oh, I could, I could easily see Kansas winning the game. I, if I was betting, this is an Iowa State for me, for sure. I, Kansas is, is going to have to... Like, it, obviously, Kansas has proved that they're way, way, way better than they've been the last 12 to 13 years. Um, I don't know. I, they beat Duke by eight points. Duke is bad. Duke is really bad. Well, let's 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 oh, let's just kind of wait. Let's wait to see Jalen Daniels against a, an Iowa State defense that is is still going to have a plan for him and is still going to be able to execute a plan. We'll see. Hey man, Duke's three and one. I mean, they beat they beat Temple. They shut out Temple. They beat that that Northwestern team that that took down mighty Nebraska. Duke probably isn't that bad. They're probably they're probably okay. You know, they'll probably go like six and six or seven and five. It's not bad. Yeah, maybe they won eight games. I don't know. I mean, they got Miami on their schedule. Miami kind of stinks. <laughs> uh, just driving this into the ditch. Uh, West Virginia at Texas. Texas nine and a half point favorite. Uh, I mean, I I really don't have any thoughts on this game. I mean, Texas coming off that crazy loss to Texas Tech, which uh, you know you were on that. You were on Tech on that game. You were on Tech to win outright, and they did. So good call on that one. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that was not part of our picks last week. But uh, yeah, no thoughts on this one. I mean, it's it's one of those games where. You expect Texas to bounce back and, and probably win, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. You got any thoughts on this one? Not really. Yeah, I'm kind of right where you are too. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure Texas will win by like ten to fourteen. Probably be like be like thirty eight to twenty four or something. All right, to the picks, and I mentioned this a moment ago. Not great last week. Our first losing week. I was two and three, and uh, Grant, man, you were zero and five. Over. Not great. The, uh, the line we got for the Arkansas A&M game really killed us because those who got it at two and a half, you know, enjoyed a nice win there. And plus, Arkansas, I guess they missed a game, a potential game-winning field goal. Yeah, go-ahead field the goal. There was still the over upright. two minutes left. Oh, go ahead. Okay, so. Um, but it would definitely increase the chances if you, you know, you got that number at one and a half like we did. So 12 and eight overall this year. That's my record. Grant, you're even now at 500, 10 and 10. We'll start with our uh, first game, and it's a Friday game. And there were some games I could have included here. I kind of went through. There's there's a lot of top 25 matchups, but you know, some of them are kind of not interesting to me. Like Arkansas, Alabama, it's it's interesting, but I just feel like we'd probably jump on Bama. Uh, just, I don't know. Uh, Arkansas no, is kind of interesting to take that I got one. Arkansas outright this week. Oh, come on. Come yes. on. All right, well. That's a little. That's a little much. But uh, we're not going to do that. Why one. is that a little much? Uh, but we are going to do. Texas just beat. I, I, Alabama had to struggle to beat Texas by one point on the road two weeks ago. Now they're going on the road to Arkansas, a better team, and everybody is probably burying Arkansas because they had they had just like a, a heart a heart wrenching loss last week. 
Yeah, and, and you're betting on A&M being not as good on the road, which last season was the case. A&M on uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Alabama on the road. Alabama on the road, not A&M. Uh, you're betting on Alabama on the road not being as good, which I think last season was a pretty good bet for the most part, but I was going back for previous years. I mean, Alabama on the road normally is, is still fine within the SEC. Sure, yeah, I mean – in contests and stuff, I'll probably grab those points. I'll probably grab Arkansas plus the points because, you know, they just lost uh, kind of a rivalry game to A&M that they've been playing every year. I say kind of a rivalry because Arkansas A&M just doesn't seem like much of a rivalry to me. Maybe those two schools would d- uh, dispute that. They probably would. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I've been to that game twice. It's fine. Uh, and, you know, they're at home against Alabama. But the thing is, Alabama got their scare with Texas. I mean, they're gonna, I think they're going to be a lot more prepared. And I think they beat the crap out of Arkansas last year if I'm – remembering correctly i'll have to go back and look but uh yeah anyways we're not picking that game we are picking though a friday night game washington on the road at ucla and the line we got from espn.com and this has probably changed other places washington as a two and a half point road favorite and with this being under a field goal it, it makes me want to grab washington they, they've been really good this year and UCLA hadn't really been challenged yet. You know, the home field advantage is not really quite there. I'm sure the people will go to this game because it's, you know, it's, it's a ranked Washington team uh, on a Friday night. So they'll probably have people at the Rose Bowl, but not much of a home field advantage, I don't think. So uh, Washington's really good. I'm not sure what UCLA is right. UCLA, UCLA, boy, is right now. And under a field goal, we're going to get it here on the podcast. I'm going to take Washington. This is a game probably, if you want to look at it, there's probably a little bit of value on UCLA here. Um, Washington's been really impressive this season, probably a lot better than anybody, you know, um, envisioned them being. They haven't left Seattle, though. They've played all their games at home so far. This is their first road game. Man, I, it's, it, it is like that. UCLA at the Rose Bowl, though, is not, it's not really a home field advantage. So, I don't know, like, what's, what's, what's more important when a team goes on the road, Lee? Is it the, the crowd that they're facing or is it just the disruption and routine? What makes what makes teams play worse on the road? Is it is it is it a combination of those two things? Is it you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say a combination of both. I if I had to say one was you know more you know influential than the other, I'd probably say I'd probably say the change in routine, honestly. Cuz like to me Lee, this is a fishy line. It's a really fishy line. Uh, this is like if you would have told me on a on a neutral field right now, I would have guessed this line would be like probably Washington minus nine and a half or so. Yeah, you're, that's a good point. It is a really fishy line. The fact that it's under a field goal is weird. That you, and it, it, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's moved. Um, I mean, on ESPN, you know, right now it's two and a half. I'm, I don't. So yeah, it's, that is a weird line. You're right, and that that usually should make you pause. Um, but. I don't know. I mean, UCLA hadn't they hadn't played anybody yet, man. I mean, they just played Colorado, and who's awful. Uh, I mean, South Alabama, not sure what kind of team they have. Alabama State and Bowling Green. And Washington's played, you know, they, they played Oregon. Uh, they just played Washington. Uh, wait, no. Oh, Oregon just played Washington State. No, they Sorry. played Kent State uh, and Stanford and Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State. Who played Oregon? Uh, who, who beat up on? Oh, no. You know what? I was thinking of. Uh, Michigan State's green. I was thinking Oregon. Uh, yeah, that's dumb. That's who Washington played. Michigan State. Who Michigan State's not very good. So I mean, it's it's going to look like a great win at the end of the year because Michigan State was ranked 11th. But yikes. Uh, put me. Uh, I mean, Stanford's got a pretty. Put me good down offense. for UCLA on this one. I, I think I think that's probably what the Sharps are are going to end up playing on Friday night. 
All right, next game. Uh, this is a this is a weird one to me. Uh, first of all, breaking news: Kentucky is a top ten team. I, I didn't know that. Uh, they're ranked number seven. They're at Ole Miss, and Ole Miss is laying a touchdown, seven points. And so you got a, the number seven team in the country catching seven. You'd think you know a, a lot of you know, Joe betters will jump on Kentucky, but part of me also like I almost I fall into the Joe category in this one. What is Ole Miss? I what have they done? I, why are they laying a touchdown? To they Kentucky? were really good in the good first defense, first three weeks. They they almost lost last week to nobody. So maybe that's a, like a, maybe a wake up call, look ahead spot there. Uh, Tulsa, they, they slept walk through Tulsa, and Tulsa's quarterback got hurt in the first quarter. Who's actually been really good this year, Davis Brin. So I, I mean, who's Kentucky played? Let me check it out. Florida in the swamp, pretty handily. I think Kentucky may may have struggled last week too. Yeah, they they struggled against Northern Illinois, uh, only beaten by eight. So I mean, Kentucky's offense with Will Levis is probably hit and miss. I mean, this is probably not a sharp play at all. I bet the sharps are probably on Ole Miss because that's that's such a big line for these two teams. But I'm going to take Kentucky plus the seven. I'm also going to take Kentucky. Um, I I just think. Their defense is really, really good, and seven points is a lot for an Ole Miss offense. And Ole Miss's offense is is like is not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not. I don't think it's an offense that you're super, super comfortable with a seven point, you know, a seven point spread going against probably a top five defense in college football. Yeah, I, I mean, Mark Stoops is a really good coach. I mean, Kentucky usually is pretty darn prepared, so we're both on Kentucky. Oh, let's go to the Big Twelve. Text. This is, I mean. What an interesting game all of a sudden. You got Texas Tech at Kansas State. Kansas State now in the top 25. Two teams coming off two big wins. And Kansas State's laying a lot of points here. And I'll be honest with you. I already grabbed this at uh, K-State uh, was laying eight and a half earlier. I grabbed it. At, I grabbed Tech plus eight and a half. It's down down to eight. And still at eight, I, this seems like a trap because it's such a such a big point total. But I will gladly even I'll, – I'll, I mean, I'm getting more than a touchdown – Kansas State played its best game of the year. Uh, they're going back home. I mean, I don't know. I, it, it just seems like this line is way too big. And so I'll grab Tech plus the eight. I think K-State's the play here. You got two teams coming off of emotional high wins. Uh, the only difference was one of those wins, Texas Tech's, was exceptionally lucky. Kansas State's, they won. They beat OU. So I, 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 Texas Tech needed a lot of things to bounce their way. Needed a lot of good fortune to beat Texas. Uh I, I just I, I think it's probably likely that maybe their good fortune ends in this game. The question is, what kind of te- uh, you know what K State team are you going to get this week? Are you going to get this the same team you got last week or the team you got the first three? Yeah, weeks? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you get, you got the first. You get, you get the K State you saw in the first three weeks. I mean, Tech's going to win, but also the Kansas State team that we saw last week was a lot closer to the version that everybody thought that Kansas State was going to look like this year. Yeah, that's true. So, like, what are you? What do you weigh more? Do you, do you weigh, you know, three of the first four games this season, or do you weigh kind of what our perception was of Kansas State coming into September, um, and then they actually did sort of look like that against OU? I don't know. What's what's more likely? Let's stick in the Big Twelve. Our fourth game is Oklahoma State at Baylor, and it's a rematch of last year's Big Twelve title game. Baylor is a two point home favorite, and that line has ticked up a bit. It opened at one and a half, so some money coming in on Baylor. 
And that's got to be just obviously because they're the home team. And, and Spencer Sanders was awful against Baylor both times last year. And now Baylor's playing him in Waco. I, you know, it's, it's close to a pick I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of steadfast. I'm not a big believer in Baylor. So as much as this pains me because I can totally see Spencer Sanders turning the ball over five times on Saturday, I'll grab the two points to Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's a good football team, although I, I know uh, I'm not a big fan of their defense. Uh, this is kind of like a hold your nose and grab Oklahoma State to me, uh, mainly because it's, it's more of a bet against Baylor. Where are you? I'm going to take Baylor on this one. Uh, I'm going to stick with my guns a little bit more. I, you know, last week, I, I'm, I'm upset that I, that I took Iowa State last week. I did not stick to my guns um, with Iowa State, and I'm upset about that. And, and going into the season, I, I, I thought Baylor would win this game. I thought, Baylor, I thought OU and Baylor would play in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, I'm going to stick with my guns and go with Baylor. All right, in the last game, you know, it's a top 10 matchup. NC State's number 10 at Clemson, number five. Uh, Clemson's laying six and a half at home. Clemson with a crazy win over Wake Forest in overtime. Clemson scored a bunch of points uh, last week. I guess DJ Ungulele played better. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what Clemson is, man. I, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, man, it looks like they're missing Brent Venables. And then, uh, you know, later in the day, Oklahoma's defense looks awful. So it's like, ah, eh, well. Okay, that's that's so really simplistic. I mean, Clemson's got a lot better players than OU. Well, I mean, yeah, but Clemson had a bunch of better players, and they gave a bunch of points to Wake Forest, which I know they have a good offense. But, I mean, Clemson's been able to dominate the ACC and like Wake Forest-type teams the last few years. So something's different. I, I feel like losing Brent Venables has got to be a big deal. It's got to be at some point. Yeah, this is this is Clemson for me. the The half point there is the is the clincher, obviously. That's yeah, that's the thing. It's under a touchdown, so this is one of those. I, I'm going to be on Clemson. This is one of those. I well. I would not. I'm I'm not picking NC State in this situation until NC State proves it. It's fair enough. I like that. So yeah, I'm on Clemson as well. So uh, those are our five picks. I'll recap. Washington minus two and a half at UCLA. I am on Washington. Grant is on UCLA. We are both on Kentucky catching seven at Ole Miss. We have a crossfire on the Tech-K-State game. I'm on Tech plus the eight. You're on K-State minus the eight. Another crossfire on OSU-Baylor. We got some Big 12 crossfires here. I'll take the Cowboys plus the two. You'll lay the two with Baylor. And we are simpatico on Clemson laying six and a half at home against NC State. Those are the picks this week. Hoping for a much better result than we had last week. So uh, another good week of college football up ahead. A lot of good matchups. And it's, uh, I just, it's, it's frustrating to me going, I'm going to be going to Fort Worth for the game. It's just frustrating thinking like, Going into this season, I was really convinced the defense would be better, and it has been, and it'd be really consistent. And I was like, oh, what's the offense going to be? We'll wait and see. Going into this game, I'm pretty convinced that the offense should have some pretty good success against this TCU defense based on what we saw against Kansas State, similar defenses. And defensively, I have no idea what to expect. I, I think Oklahoma's defense is probably going to get, get uh, exposed again. I just That's kind of the feeling I have right now. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but it's just it's frustrating that we're four games in and I'm already kind of dealing with this sort of mental gymnastics. What Oklahoma team is going to show up? Are you in the same boat or have you even thought about that? Oh, of course, I've thought about that. I mean, this is a 
This is, I mean, this is not an unfamiliar position. I mean, losing a game before before the Texas game, and you know what's going to happen the next week. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. You never know. You never know until they're actually in that situation, until you actually see them. And with this one, it's different because it's a totally new coaching staff. So, you know, hey, I mean, I still think ever since, you know, the the Stoops regime came in in 99, the only time they've ever lost back-to-back games was still the COVID year when they lost back-to-back to K-State and Iowa State, and that's it. Okay. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, all of our worries and stuff are unfounded come about two two three o'clock on saturday afternoon so we'll be back on sunday to uh to discuss hopefully talking about an oklahoma victory until next time for grant i am lee this is west of everest if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe to the show and if you want to help us spread the word please leave us a five-star review and also tell all of your friends who are ou fans about west of everest You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.